0: hello hey merlin how are you i'm great dan how are you i'm very good i who is this photo of in your your skype uh
1: oh uh, that's a character from the tv show patriot
0: oh okay okay
1: his name is uh, in the show they call him john lakeman okay hmm.
0: okay because he looks familiar to me uh as an actor but i couldn't place him
1: he's I'm originally sure him new
0: zealandese oh okay
1: and then he's uh up. I think he lives in Australia now. Okay. That's the same difference. Yeah, yeah, they don't like that. They get very upset when you conflate the two.
0: New Zealand and Australia. I don't th- I think the uh New Zealand people are very kind people and I think mm-hmm. the the land is very different from the Australian land oh, and God. they don't like to be lumped in with the Australians because they have a, a whole. It's a whole different nation.
1: <laughs> That's certainly one way to put it. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, yeah. Like uh, people in Canada, they don't like it when you just assume it's part of the United States. You know. What do you mean? You be careful with those Australians, though, man. They'll send you a snake in the mail. Well, you
0: know, oh, really? there's snakes
1: and spiders there.
0: Yeah, I've seen the spiders, but uh, what do you, what do you mean about can Canada not being part of the U.S. Is, oh, that a, is that a thing?
1: Well, oh boy, no, no. I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you at this point. Right. I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. And uh, same continent. Knowing it's a joke will not stop the amount of email that you will get.
0: <laughs> we did People get a lot of email. I have a lot of it right here in front of me. Lots Do you? and lots of emails. Yes. <laughs> lots <laughs> and lots of emails. Send
1: of letters. I uh, <laughs> I've accepted a few. We've gotten a lot of really good feedback lately. Yeah, we have. Um. Yeah, it was really fun. Like last night at the, uh, the meetup, uh, I encountered some people who were very familiar with the show. And uh, I met, um, well, I mean, I already know our friend Rory, the guy with the German longsword. He was there. Did he I have a sword? Out, though, I found out, though, that it was our friend, my friend Rory who, who uh, had created the Phony Awards that John Roderick and I received. The, the prestigious, again, Australian uh, fake podcasting award. The oh, Phony.
0: okay. All right.
1: It's an award that John and I have sought out for a long time that didn't exist and we hadn't been nominated for um how was, a really was your, how was your how uh, was
0: your show with john it was good i yeah. think it was real good yeah yeah uh, is there we, a video of it or anything
1: um, i don't know i don't think so i don't think so uh I, I yeah they might have recorded it i don't know no 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 i'm sure there's john and other things john did lots of uh sketch things so i'm sure there's some stuff out there but um yeah i agree we got good stuff i excerpted a few um i've got some feedbacks did you have any feedbacks that you particularly liked?
0: Yeah, let me find a, a – There's a. there were so many. We had so listener many. Don
1: talking about baseball and the Yerkes-Dodson Law. Mm-hmm. We had listener LVH uh, talking about machine learning and black boxes. Uh, listener Tony talking about homework. Or
0: were a few that I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch right. of people who wrote in talking about how they t- – teachers who listened to the show who were responding to our comments about homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was interesting. We could read one of those.
1: Yeah, that was listener Tony was one.
0: Tony and a listener Josh, I think also. But do you want? Josh. Can I read Tony? Can I read listener Tony? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. All right. Um, Tony. Hi. Hey. Hey, Merlin and Dan. I love when you guys. Hi, Tony. I love when you guys talk about homework. I'm a teacher and your thoughts help me calibrate what I'm attempting to do with my students. Your current episode prompted me to the the following reflection, written on a snow day here in the southeast. Homework is a tough thing. I don't want to give it, but I have to. I share 60 students with a colleague, so it does have to scale. My solution, I ask the students to read for 30 minutes and write something about what they read. They're graded based on the number of times they come to class prepared to share. If someone doesn't get to do it before class, I let them do it in class before the day starts, so you really have to go out of your way to not get an A each week for homework. Here comes the fun part. If they come in ready to share, all I do is check that it's completed. They pick a friend, trade notebooks, read each other's thoughts, and write a note to that friend in the friend's notebook. Wow. I teach fourth grade, and as you both know, kids this age are very social. They want to communicate to each other. It's my belief that they deserve the opportunity to imagine an audience other than their teacher. They love sitting and sharing their writing. I never read what they write to each other. It's not for me to read. It's their moment to share, and I believe that they're learning a very important lesson in these moments that it's possible to do something in school for someone other than the teacher. Love all the great shows. Tony. I I love that, too, because, you know, whenever you're doing homework, you're thinking to yourself, only the teacher's going to see this, because this is, like, between you and the teacher. Right. I never thought of something like this.
1: Yeah, it's... um it's a really good idea, and sometimes we put a coat of paint on these sorts of things by calling them creative. But this seems genuinely like it's it's social and creative, yeah, which I really I really like. Creativity is another one of those things that's so hard to define. If if you haven't done a lot of things that you consider creative, it can feel very foreign. But in this case, it's also got a what a performative aspect in that you're like you want to you know you want to impress your friend too,
0: right? Yeah, and I think that I think it's probably safe to say, at least in the case of my fourth grader, that the thing they like he likes his teachers a lot, but he loves his friends in class, and Mm -hmm. he would if you were to ask him, and he would probably feel bad if you asked him because he would want to answer truthfully, and he wouldn't he would he would have physically yeah he would have to say "I, I would probably prefer to talk to my friends than to. Like, talk to the teacher, but this kind of accomplishes that. I thought it was really clever.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a neat idea. Um, and fourth grade, which is the grade that our kids are in, yeah, it's, uh, we talked about this a little last week, about how it's such an interesting inflection point. It really, something Matt Howie said to me a long time ago, because he's got a daughter who's older than mine, and he's given me sort of a taste. Between him and Gruber, I feel like I've gotten a good taste of like what's coming down the pike. Um, but talking about how like you feel like you realize there's this moment at some point where you no longer have a child and you now have a kid. And I think <clears throat> that's been true in some form or fashion for the last couple of years, but no, I mean, like this, this is a person who's becoming more and more her own person with sure. her own tastes. Um, but, uh, no, I, I agree. I think, it, I think it sounds like a good idea. It's it, anything you can do to... See, I don't I – I, this is one of those rare things where I don't want to complain about something because I don't have an answer. But like I don't know what the trick is to get people excited, to get kids excited about a, a, a school, like a room, a room full of kids with very different interests and abilities to get them all interested about like what you know what reading could do for them. But um, do you ever struggle with the things with um, – having to do something creative, like they say, Oh, you know, go nuts, like write up a story. Like they're doing modules. Uh, a lot of this year that are like, we're doing informative writing. We're doing personal writing. They're doing all those kinds of things. How do you, how do you guys do with those kinds of assignments?
0: Um, my boy hates doing those. He doesn't like, I think every kid hates them. No, He doesn't like the writing part. And, and anytime he gets homework, there's usually some math, which he doesn't like. Then there's like vocab, which he's fine. He's fine with that. And, you know, and there'll be these other, as you would say, odds and sods. But then there's always like one thing that is a writing segment. And he's, he'll be like, I'm like, oh, did you get everything done? Oh, everything except the writing part. He just doesn't want to do it.
1: Yeah, and it used to be like in like more like, well, probably second grade, third grade, especially second grade, first grade, second grade. There was always the thing of like, okay, well, we have, um, you know, we've read this thing or I've read it to you in class. And I want you to, you know, write a couple sentences about it, but you can also draw a picture above it of the thing. So, which is, I think more engaging for a lot of kids is like you get to draw a monster or something like that. And I don't know, I suspect that for most kids, the idea of drawing or just even using crayons is more familiar. The tools feel familiar. You know how to make the kind of thing you like to make, because most kids like to draw in some way or other, whereas the writing part is a new thing. And it's sort of forcing you to not only do something new but to call upon an unfamiliar skill and do it in front of other people and i think that stuff can be really difficult um yeah i i I can't even imagine what it's like for a teacher it must just be so challenging
0: i mean my mom taught high school at the early part of her career and then went on to teach college and you know i guess by the time you're in college you've already sort of made peace with the fact that you have classes and and you will have assignments then tests so you know I think it's this early stage where you're transitioning from I'm a kid who likes to play to you know na- now I have to like do stuff that interferes with the playing you know, mm-hmm. um, and and it's and, and it's unfamiliar, and it is I think unfamiliar. That's such a big
1: part. The unfamiliar is a big part of it, and I feel like I know I know it is for me. But like you think about something where again, so much of the early years of primary school are about uh, apart from the things about socialization, getting along, being in a class. But you know, you're sort of ramping you ramping the kid up more and more into stuff that they might not have had exposure to. And I mean, I, I feel like like if somebody dropped me in a jungle with a knife and like one bottle of water and was like, try to get out of the jungle. Right. I would be like, ah, and like, if I made it out of the jungle alive, Mm -hmm. I would really feel like I had succeeded. Like (laughs) I didn't die. I still I haven't lost my knife. I feel like I did really, really well. But then that person might say, well, I would like, I would like you to have done that maybe a little more quickly. And I would like you to have been more creative about what you did with the coconuts. And you would be like, you've got to be kidding me. I didn't die. Like, I, this is such a victory for me. And I, I, I use that analogy because I bet that's what it feels like a lot of time where it's like, writing is hard. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, every little, most little kids feel really comfortable like, yeah, telling a story or telling about your, about their day. There's all that kind of stuff. But the different modality of having to organize your thoughts in a sequence and to tell a story and all that kind of stuff, there, there are a lot of people who have graduated from college that don't know how to do that. Yeah. Because you've, got, you've gotten by with that. But it's, it is very difficult. But I, I mean I still believe that the process of writing and the arc of learning to write, however you want to put that, and, and then having the ability to have somebody help you make it better. Is so important. Maybe not even if you're hoping to become a blogger or at BuzzFeed or whatever. But it's I don't know what the career art is for a writer nowadays. Right? You, yeah, you can't even write for Huffington Post for free anymore. Like, what's going on in this environment, in this economy? But the uh, but but there's something very clarifying about having to write something down. And, like, you get through this, like, succession of increasingly more difficult things. And, like, one of the things is, like, what's step zero? Like, oh, God, I have to figure out what to write about. And then, when I'm thinking about what I have to write about, at every stage, there's so much procrastination and self hate built into it, right? And so you got to go like, "Oh, what am I going to write about? Like then what do I have to say about it?" You've got to put the words together. And now your parents are yelling at you because the A looks like an E and all that kind of stuff. And uh but, you know, if you can make it through that slog by the time you get into high school, you may not even realize it at the time, but it's it is so valuable to be for lack of a better word, forced to turn your thoughts into cogent writing that can um articulate it to other people, like I'm doing poorly right now. It is really important to be able to do that. It's, it's shocking how much extremely terrible writing you encounter just in day-to-day life. I mean, start with like, the stuff that's on a sign, like at a, at, a, you know, at a store or at a movie theater, and you're like, oh, wow, like, that could have been so much more effective. You learned how to be bureaucratic before you learned how to be good. And, like, that's that's such a bummer. You think that sounds really official, but you just sound like a pretentious twit. That's right. Like, how could you do so? We talked about this on by Friday. Like, how do you get men to stop peeing on the seat and not cleaning it up? Like, do you use graphics? Do you use threats? Do you use humor? Do you use shame? Like, that's a kind of... Putting up a sign in the bathroom that says, please don't pee on the seat, is an exercise in persuasive writing. That's something that you'll... That sounds silly, but I, I think that's really true. No, you know? it, it, I mean, it
0: definitely it definitely is true. And I think there's something... That happens where something clicks in your mind, I think, once you have been writing enough, that actually helps you in other ways, too. It helps you verbally. It helps you across the board process your thoughts and think about effective ways to communicate. And like you're saying, like what passes for writing today is is horrible, not just typos, but um, all kinds of... um, colloquialisms that we would say things that we would say that get written written down now that seems like a big change that like expressions that we would only in the past that we would only have used when speaking are now used in in wow called cheap writing people who are forced to mm-hmm. perhaps make 20 posts a day to keep up with the news cycle there's not really any editing they're just sort of you know uh, stream of almost it's like almost stream of consciousness writing oh definitely
1: definitely feels like a an immature first draft a lot of the time,
0: yeah, and you know but but the yeah. problem with that, the problem that I have is if that's the main thing that people are consuming every day right uh, then what does that do i mean when when um when I was a kid, you know the things that we read were uh if we read newspapers or magazines, these were. Pieces that were written by people, usually with writing degrees and, and experience, edited by editors with many, many years of experience, perhaps several rounds of this, uh, and books that had been painstakingly written and rewritten, and you know, uh, it's it's one of those things that when when you read something that was in print, you knew that it had been probably vetted and read and reread and written and rewritten and edited and you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and yes. and now the publishing process is well, I typed this on my i dictated this to my iphone i pasted it into the form and i hit submit that's now how we're publishing things but yet the whole world is reading these things and i almost feel like it's you can you can feel iqs being pushed lower by by the saturation of this kind because of writing. Because it's being
1: consumed and produced. Like you're consuming a lot of – junk is too strong a word. But you're consuming a lot of, let's at least say, informal, yeah. uh, informal writing. Uh, and then that might have some effect on the kind of stuff you – if you chose to, that you would produce as well.
0: Yeah, I think so because – you know, you're gonna read something and that then becomes your example. You um you, you covet what you know, Clarice. It's the whole thing of you know, you see it so much that then it Marcus be- Aurelius. That's right. It becomes <laughs> it becomes the thing that you uh you try to emulate. And and it's not like you're thinking, well, they're just being lazy because they have to write twenty posts today and they're tired and bored. That's not what what comes across. What comes across is this is valid. This is the correct way to write.
1: Yeah, I have I have tons of mixed feelings about it. Because on the one hand, uh, there's my ongoing project of trying not to turn into a fuddy duddy. Um, there's this other part of me though. I, I do I do agree with what you're thinking, which is that like in some ways, your ability, unless you are some kind of a very rare magnificent genius who springs out of the womb fully formed, uh, I, I think there is a case to be made. That challenging yourself with the stuff that you write um, if you if you do choose if you do choose to write the stuff that you the difficult things you've read can have an impact because you've processed that stuff, you've thought about that stuff, and you've been fed you know good materials um, I, I I wonder sometimes if one would excuse one's informal crappy l o l style writing mm-hmm. uh, with all the things you're talking about, which is there's time constraints there's you know tiredness, constraints, whatever it is, but then there's also this sense, I think it would be easy to fool yourself, uh, especially if it suits you for your job, to fool yourself into staying saying, well, I'm writing in a vernacular that my audience is familiar with, so I right. write this way because this is the stuff that people like, which could certainly... It could be true, that's very likely to be true. It could be true, but like I'm, you know, I, f- I still haven't read your uh, motorcycle book about quality, but mm-hmm. I, I do I, – I, one sense I get about that process is that going that extra mile uh, to make this clear, going the extra mile to provide context, going the extra mile to have – to avoid cliches like the extra mile, going a little further to have an arc to what you're writing that has a beginning, a middle, and an end and a through line, uh, that takes time and that takes effort. And that takes drafts. Um, And, you know, that may not be conducive to the kind of writing a lot of people are doing. With all of that said, as somebody who wrote a lot of fairly informal stuff for a website for a number of years, I do still think there is a benefit to writing frequently, even if it's not the best thing you've ever Mm -hmm. written. And there are a lot of people now who are very good uh, or good writers at, like, real publications who started out writing for these websites. So, I mean – the benefit of writing a lot is you're likely to just kind of get better at whatever it is that you're writing. But you also learn that even if it's not perfect, you got to put it out.
0: Mm -hmm. That's right. And
1: I know that sounds kind of at odds with what we're saying here, but like the person who spends five years trying to write one, 3000 word post is, is that person better than the person who's putting out, you know, Five five hundred word posts a day. I mean, it's different, that's for sure. But there are still benefits that you get out of this stuff. And I don't know. I, I like a world. I like that our world is still so textual. I mean, I enjoy funny memes and videos like anybody. But like, I, I really still I relish the ability when I choose to to be able to write a short thing that makes my point. And I think I've still got that from time to time when I when I choose to or need to. And I'm really glad that it's there. And um, I pray that everybody out there is surrounded by people that lead them to that ability because it's yeah. it's nice to know it's there.
0: I mean, I think one of the big differences is, and it's a testament to technology and the internet that we have today is, you know, and I, I was re-watching again. Um, I've seen now just it, all the president's men. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the idea of like, Trying to get something published, trying to get a an article published or writing an article or, or a or a book or whatever it was, like there's a million ways you could get the thing that you want that you 've written that you want people to read like there's tons of ways to get that out into the world today that weren't mm-hmm. there five years ago, that certainly weren't there twenty years ago and you know it's not like it's not like we're saying I'm saying there's a shortcut but you you no longer have to be a writer by by anyone's definition in order to get paid even to publish your writing or to at least get published yeah you
1: know? yeah yeah, and another interesting thing in that movie is is you and I. I just I want to be clear. I don't want to go too far down this road of like bagging on people who are writing for the web. That's that's not at least what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's one interesting thing also about a, a movie like that, and I think that is an unusually good, at least as far as I. Know, I've worked in a newsroom, nothing like the Washington Post, but I've been around that kind of process, and that style of writing. When you're when you're writing high stakes, writing. That has consequences if you get it wrong. I mean, think about how your style of writing changes based upon knowing that your editor is going to say to you, (laughs) I need to really understand your source for this, and I need you to show me one or two other sources, usually two other sources for this. And the thing that we're able to publish will be governed by what you can prove. We need to act like it's almost like law. It's somewhere between law and code. Because it's like law in the sense that we cannot publish, we're in danger if we publish anything that we can't prove is true, even if it is true. We need to be able to prove it is true. But it's also a little like coding, or in the sense that, like, you know, would you have somebody on your team who's doing commits that were really crappy and screwed up your application and didn't understand how to use GitHub? Like, everything you write is part of being a community of writers. Mm -hmm. Where and editors, right? Where their reputation is on the line. The reputation of your whole, in that case, newspaper is on the line. If you publish things that aren't factual, so you need to be very, you need to have humility about the fact that your writing is about much more than what you need to say today about Tide Pods. Like you need to be able to prove (laughs) everything that's in here, and you need to do something distinguished that is going to improve rather than harm the reputation of this newspaper. And I, I realize that is kind of old fashioned. But what you could do a lot worse, making that your standard for yourself is like, how do I know this thing that I said is true? Mm-hmm. Is this just something where I have a clever turn of phrase about my cognitive bias or do I have some way to actually, you know, and that's something that I've definitely struggled with and being surrounded by people who are critical <laughs> it has made me more careful about what I say. Do I, do I really hate this or do I just mostly not like this or, or am I annoyed by this? Because a good writer would know the difference between being annoyed and feeling hatred. It's so easy to say you hate something. Mm-hmm. It's the easiest thing in the world to just say. But is that how you really feel? Because that, now that reframes everything that you're saying. Right. Hate's a very strong word. There's Yeah. And you don't have to be a word nerd to appreciate that there are co- colors and subtlety to that at the very least. Um, but that – I mean the bottom line is this. I say this as somebody who doesn't write very much at all formally anymore. But the the bottom line is that you – it's difficult to have – good writing without clear thinking and without, you don't even have to have the greatest analytical skills in the world, but if you're holding yourself up to a certain standard, um, about how good this needs to be, it's going to change the way that you work. Uh, Jay Ferguson from the band Sloan, uh, has been quoted as saying like every song that he writes, He imagines that Morrissey and Johnny Marr from his favorite Ben Smith are going to hear it. So he doesn't put out any song. He feels like he didn't want to put out any song that he didn't think Morrissey and Johnny Marr thought was good. I didn't want to write anything I thought John Gruber would think was stupid. Like you, you don't. It's not so much to impress other people, but it's a way of saying like that that bar can be raised by you and you alone if you choose to hold yourself to a standard. Sounds so pretentious at this point, but.
0: Well, I think it's, you're talking it's, about it's, being, being proud of the thing that you're making. You know, whatever it is that you make, I want to take something that I made and feel like, you know what? Given the circumstances, I did the best that I could do and I'm proud of that thing that I made. And being able mm-hmm. to, to put that out there. And that's the other thing is I think you and I are both in a space where for a very long time, we have... Put, put stuff that we've made out there, like like this podcast and lots of other things that both you and I have done, putting something out there, making it and putting it out there and saying, you know what? Hopefully people like this thing. I'm sure a lot of people won't like this thing, but you know what? I tried really hard and I'm proud of it. And if you don't like it, then I'm, I'm sorry, but I like it and I worked hard on it and here it is. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: there is something where, you know, I don't know when... That was instilled in me or by whom or whatever, but it, that, you know, that matters. So like if I'm releasing something, if I'm publishing something, if I'm launching an application that I've built, whatever, you know that's actually been my downfall in a lot of ways, because there have been a lot of things that I've built that, in, in retrospect, I can look back and say that that thing was pretty good, or something I've written, that that thing was pretty good. Uh, but that for some reason at the time uh, I had said, you oh, know, it's, it's not good enough or no one's going to like it or whatever. We've talked about fear of success, things like that, uh, or fear of the thing sucking and having no success. You know that, that when you release something like that into the world, if you can say, I worked hard on it, and I'm proud of it. You know, like, like this project that my kid did, the science fair project with, with the batteries. I know mm-hmm. that he was very proud of the work that he did, and i 'm proud of him, and it was really good this you know project that he did and it w- it was really good and I know that when he's take he took it to school today, and I know he's like he's ready to put that thing up, you know what i mean like he he worked hard on it, he feels good about it, and you know what, probably not the best one in the class, certainly not the worst one in the class, but it doesn't matter he's proud of the work that he did right and there's there's really something. Something there, I told you th- about that class uh, where i uh that band class where I was supposed to make an instrument right <laughs> Do you did I tell you that story
1: um i don't i don't know if you did tell me again
0: okay uh I f- want to say this was sixth grade uh and I was taking a band class. I was not in the marching band, I was not in the band. it was just like a music class where you picked an instrument, and for the year you got. To, you were supposed to learn the instrument and play it. And I wanted to play the saxophone because my grandfather played the saxophone, but I was too <laughs> small to play the tenor saxophone, so they made me play the alto saxophone, and they wouldn't let me change it and, uh, and pick something else. I would have preferred almost anything else to the alto saxophone. That was not part of the deal I was signing up for, but they forced me to play the alto saxophone. So that's fine. I learned how to play it. I was not very good. I was passable. Uh, and one of the projects that we were supposed to do like our final project was to take the instrument that we were playing and you know like study it research it research the history of it and then invent your own working instrument oh that maybe could resemble the one that you were playing or was inspired like, like be able to draw it no, like, make it in real life, like a physical oh, instrument that it didn't have to be, like, good. It didn't necessarily have to be, like, super playable or anything. But, like, you know, and so so I remember one kid made some kind of, like, rudimentary guitar type thing. It had, like, a like a a board for the neck and it had some strings. A saxophone is a
1: complicated bit of kit.
0: Yeah. And so I didn't know what I was supposed to do uh, with that. And of course I procrastinated and didn't bother to do anything at all because I thought the whole thing was stupid. And, you know, it came time. It was like the weekend before the day before the stupid thing was due. Everyone else had been like researching instruments and creating things and, you know, I had done nothing because I didn't want to do it. And finally, I'm like, "Well, I got, I got to do this." Now, what I should have done is I should have just taken a zero. I should have done nothing. Looking back, but instead, what I did was I, I think I took like a like a two liter bottle of Coke and used duct tape and taped like the mouthpiece from the saxophone with the reading it onto the end of the thing. and
1: <laughs> Please let there be photos of oh, this. Oh,
0: there's no photos. It was so bad. It was just duct tape. Literally, it was duct tape and things I found in the kitchen. It was so bad. It was so bad. And I had to go in, and then we had to present this in front of the class. It wasn't like you just put it on the teacher's desk and left. You had to like demo it and play it for the all the other you know 10 15 kids to see and so there's one kid up there he's like well i can't quite play real chords with this guitar but you know and it's so clear that like the parents made it with the kids or for the kids like kids were not sixth graders were not making these instruments there were good instruments in there they were some of them were like real playable instruments too good mine was such a piece of crap it was so bad and I had to like get up there and be like, well, this is my inspiration for it. And this is how I put it together. It was so bad. And after that, I decided, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm never going to do something and put something out there unless I'm like really, really proud of it. And I think I, you know, I think maybe that went, I took it too far in the future, mm-hmm. but it was humiliating because I mean, it was my own fault. I didn't feel like doing it. I wanted to watch cartoons or whatever. But, you know, but that's, you know, and, but I think, you know, there's a lot of people who kind of go through life, well, that's good enough. And I, I hate good enough. I can't stand good enough, you know, and so much of what we consume or what I wind up consuming, I guess, is, is good enough. You know, when a restaurant goes above and beyond and, you know, when you're doing a takeout order and the, the person who's doing the takeout order... Double checks to make sure that when you ordered the corn oh, yeah. taco, it's not you're getting the corn taco, not the flour taco. Like, thank thank you for checking, but you know what? We should all be checking. You know, we should all yeah. be looking and making sure that that we're doing our job the right way, and and good enough isn't isn't good enough.
1: That's a, that's a that's a harrowing story. Uh, I, I think there's also. Um I want to hear about something you like, but, um, the, uh, another way to look at this is when you talk about something like a creative endeavor and especially something like writing, there's so many different bits of contradicting advice about it. I mean, two of, we're already here, I think providing two of the primary bits of contradictory advice about writing. Mm-hmm. Um, one, and they're both excellent. <laughs> I, I hope they can be complimentary, but to me, like one of the ultimate for the normal, just average person out there, uh, there are books about this that I would be happy to share. But like one of the things, if, if you're not familiar with writing or God forbid, you're scared of writing, how do you get to the point where you're not too scared to put something on a page that becomes something like a first draft, first draft, right? So there's that one thing where it's like, how do you learn to shut down the voice in your head that says you're incapable of this and you're not competent and you shouldn't even be doing this imposter syndrome, something, something. How do you get past that to get to where you can on a, on the reg, like be able to write something, even if you're just doing it for yourself. And I think that's, you know, there are books like bird by bird, the books of Don Norman, uh, writing down the bones. There's all of these books that are very good at getting you to a place where you learn that those scribbles will amount to something. You just have to do it often enough to trust that that's the case. And then there's the other side that I think you're advocating for, and I'm uh, I'm agreeing is a great position, which is like okay, but then how do you go to the next level after you've gotten to where you're publishing? Even how do you get to where you're becoming better and becoming cognizant of your weak spots? Are there certain like dumb stuff? Like are there phrases that you use over and over? Are you varying the length of your sentence? Like are you hewing so closely to my beloved sh- Strunk and White that you're actually becoming kind of a pill? Like how do you know which rules to break? And those seem really contradictory, but I, I, I don't think they need to be. Different people need different advice at different times. But, but also to your point, I, I, I don't disagree at all about it's nice to be proud of what you've done, but it's virtually unique – that's a terrible phrase <laughs> – virtually unique to the creative arts that we can have our bar be I'm proud of this. Yeah. Um, because in a lot of other professions, admittedly, non, quote-unquote non-creative professions – uh, well the bar for a physician should probably not simply be i'm proud of my work the bar for a pediatric uh, oncologist should hopefully not simply be i'm proud of my work is that my work stands up to scrutiny and that my work uh, can be an advancement that you know shoot if you're practicing law that you're like you know that you're good at the law stuff uh, it's it's not simply pride though it's also that like you know maybe maybe it's a good thing maybe it's a bad thing but Also, because the way we look at art and creative projects is so subjective, Um, you have to learn to develop. Yes, certainly you want to be proud of what you do, but you also want to feel like it would be nice to get to where you feel like what you're doing um, stands on its own. It doesn't need any, you know, throat clearing or fancy fonts to make it good. But the, the pride part in creative stuff is very important. But it's also useful to think about, you know, if I was in a different field, what would my goal be? because you know you don't want a plane to fall out of the sky you don't want somebody you know to not get their oxygen tank refilled right in more fault intolerant environments pride is something you hope to feel but like your the primary performance characteristic is you you did the job competently Mm -hmm. on the rig right um i don't know it's it's hard with kids though because again there's so much there's so much contradictory stuff to this and like it's you know, fortunately, the people who teach are good at understanding that something that's easy to me is not necessarily easy to other people. That seems like a huge part of being a teacher is knowing that, like, how and why is this opaque or difficult to someone else? And so what is my inroad to helping this person understand what the first step is? Before I sit there and become a... I mean, honestly, back in first grade, I remember they said very specifically, this is going to be very upsetting to a lot of you parents. Our goal is not for your kids to become whatever. It's not for them to become authors. Our, our goal is not for them to have perfect penmanship. Our goal and I know this is going to drive me nuts, our goal is not even perfect spelling. Our goal is to get them to write every day. Which I thought was a very sound, smart, and like, calming thing to say. It's like, listen, just so you know, I'm not going to be dinging your kid on spelling. I just care that they're spitting stuff up on the page every day, even if that's just this little half paragraph that we do. So, I mean, when you're trying to figure out how to help somebody, I think it also helps to constrain your advice to, like, what our goal for now is. You know what I mean? Like, we're not we're not looking for you to be – I remember as a kid having substitute teachers that had mostly dealt with older classes. If you ever have a sub that's used to teaching sixth grade and they teach third grade and you feel like such a dope because they're not used to dealing with kids your age. <laughs> that's such a huge part of being a teacher is not only being competent at what you do, not only being able to describe how to get better at it, but understanding the context for how each little person needs something – probably a little bit different to be able to get to the next step and you don't get to six steps away until you get to the next step. It takes patience. It takes kindness. Uh, and it takes the ability to understand that everybody's got their own little dumb hangups. A lot of terrible writing out there. There is. Could I uh, prevail upon you to tell me about something (laughs) that you like? Uh, I'll tell you about
0: butcher box.
1: Butcher box. 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 Butcher box. Every, 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 every month. A fresh butcher is sent to your house in a very
0: large box. <laughs> That's right. It's, you know, like we've, we've talked about mattresses that expand. It, this is a, a butcher. starts out as a little guy? A butcher. He takes <laughs> he, he him out of the bag and he just. He just, you put a little water drop on top of him and he's. Well, and there he is. He's uh, butchering <laughs> meat right in your kitchen. No. Hi, I'm Philip. I'm your butcher. <laughs> no, it's not included. <laughs> butcher box. Is not a little tiny butcher in a box. It is a a company (laughs) that
1: delivers. (laughs) I would so get a tiny butcher service. I'm sorry.
0: What do you have, Butcher Box? (laughs) Butcher Box uh, delivers healthy, 100% grass fed and grass finished beef, free range organic chicken, and heritage breed pork directly to your door. Incredible quality. And it, it starts with a commitment that raises animals humanely, free of antibiotics, free of hormones. Now for me, and my family is paleo. So we, we really care about the kind of meat that we eat, where it comes from, what it's fed, what antibiotics it's given. It should be given none, etc. And so like the quality of the food that you're eating should matter. It should really matter to you. And, it matters a lot to me. So when these guys came as a potential sponsor, I was like, yes, this is this is right up my alley. And so I got one of these boxes. And so here's the way this works. Each box that you get, it comes with between 8 and 11 pounds of meat, which is enough for 24 individual sized meals. And you can choose from five different box types. You can get all beef. You can get your beef and chicken, beef and pork, you can get a mixed box, you can even get a custom box where you just are choosing all of your own cuts. Uh, it's it's beautiful the way this works. And if you've ever gotten any one of these like uh, type things in, in the mail before, it comes super nicely packaged. Like it's it's a you know uh a I don't know what do you call it, like a refrigerated box. It's got the dry ice and everything packed in there. So by the time it gets to you, it's still like super cold and that's obviously very important. The quality of the food though, uh you know, they I like they can't I'll say that they can't pay me to, to tell you that I thought it was amazing. They can tell they can pay us to to say, here is it's grass fed and whatever else. I will tell you per my experience, this stuff was amazing. So we got some steaks, some pork chops, and some bacon and a couple other things. My kids, eat; they love bacon, and there's only been, like, one brand that they've ever been willing to eat at all, Hmm. and when they're out of it at the store, like, it's going to be a bad Saturday morning, so (laughs) I said, you know, I'm going to make this butcher box one, because it looked really, really good, so I made the bacon, and they loved it. They absolutely loved it. I loved it. It was super delicious. We put these steaks on. I grilled them. I use a rule of threes. I don't know if you know that. You probably know that. Uh, and just cooked them And I, I grilled the pork chops too. And I really usually grill pork chops. I threw them on there. And they were so awesome. Just great. Really, really the best, as good as any grass-fed beef I've ever had. I love this stuff. And it's such a nice thing because sometimes in your town and you're sitting in your store, you're limited on what you can find. Mm -hmm. And uh, the quality is there, antibiotics, hormone-free, you get the the peace of mind knowing that you're giving them the most healthy food that you can. The selection that you get is great that you can customize it. And then the convenience, it is like a little butcher in a box because they're sending you this stuff, this great chicken, pork, beef, right to your door when you want it on the frequency that you set. So I, I love this sponsor. You can tell I'm excited about it. Uh, and, and so this was great. Uh, they're giving uh, 20 bucks off and free bacon. I mean, come on. Free bacon. I, I think that should be enough of a selling point for someone to try free bacon. At. Free bacon. That, that, that is a deal made for the internet, my friend. <laughs> yeah, free bacon. And, free bacon. And 20 bucks off your first box. It's at butcherbox.com slash back to work and you enter the code back to work and you will get free bacon, the bacon that my kids love. Uh, and twenty bucks off your first box, and we did it with the bacon method. By the way, I'll put that in the show notes, which is the easiest, fastest way to cook the bacon and with the least amount of mess. That's my own nice. uh, thing. So, butcherbox.com/slash/back-to-work. Enter code back-to-work. Twenty bucks off, free bacon. Thank you, Butcher Box. Thanks,
1: Butcher Box. Buck, butcher. Box. Hi, I'm Sid. I'm your butcher.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sid. I buy <borrow> your knives. <laughs> All right, I'll bite. I know about the rule of threes for lots of things, including humor, making jokes, and cameras. cameras. What is
0: the rule of threes when it comes to food? Okay, I'll put this in the show notes, too. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Basically, I know that you – first of all, let me just say this. I know that you grill better than I do, and I know that the food that you grill is tastier than the food that I grill. Hmm. So I defer to your... How would you know that? How would you know Because that? you're so into it and you never hmm. talk about something with as much confidence as you talk about grilling unless you're, you're pretty damn sure that it's good. Oh, I see. See? Yeah, okay. okay. All right. So I'm, I'm confident of that. But I make a pretty good steak and the rule of threes is you have a, a grill. You can do this with gas or charcoal, but you can only do it with gas if you've got two burners. That are, that are split left and right on the, on the grill. With charcoal, it's easy to move the charcoal to one side. But basically, it requires direct heat and indirect heat. And so what you do oh, is, okay. you, let's say you've got a steak, and this is also based on a steak that's about an inch and a half thick. So this is what they recommend you do, and you can modify it based on how thick your steak is and how well you like it done. Basically, they say three minutes of grilling steak on side one uh, over high heat, direct heat uh 3 minutes on side 2 over the direct heat 3 minutes on side 1 indirect heat 3 minutes side 2 indirect heat done so that is wow. that is the rule to do the steaks now i've done it other ways i've seen people who say oh that's the wrong way to do it for me as a a very much an amateur griller this generally works pretty well for me you do it's what they call two zone grilling you've got the hot direct heat and then you've got the indirect heat. So you'd put your coals on one side. So you're
1: able to get a, get a nice crispy outside, but then get it thoroughly cooked inside. That's exactly uh, right. The two. Okay, I see. And so
0: if your steaks are an inch or so thick, uh, then uh, then it'll turn out. But I, I put a link to a guy that does a really good job of explaining the way to do this correctly. And of course, if, uh, if your steaks are thinner or if you want them more rare, then you cook them a little bit less. And it, but it, it's all in this article. And uh, that's what I use. I know you. You have a system that's probably better. But for someone like me that mm, doesn't have yeah. a deep understanding of come on, what to do, why are you doing this? Then uh, this is what I do. Well, it's because no, it's, it's what I do.
1: No, I'm, no, you know what it is. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a couple things I've learned in life when it comes to cooking. One is to learn to use the percentages on the microwave. That'll change your game. You get so much more control if you use percentages when you're reheating things. Uh, another uh, – uh, what's the other thing I've learned? Uh, I just spaced out a minute because somebody texted me. See, this is what it's like to be 51. Um, and, uh, and I don't know. I feel like I've learned a little bit about uh, – grilling will try to teach you things, but it requires more than the usual senses and timers and pokey things that you would expect. It's, it, it, is, it is a little bit intuitive. Um, so par cooking is a huge thing. Learning to cook something a little bit before you cook it. Mm. The the canonical example, whenever we joke about this, we end up talking about ribs and all those idiots who think you put cold ribs on a grill and then slather it with <laughs> sugary barbecue sauce to make delicious ribs. And it's like, oh, no, no. Oh, sweetheart, no. <laughs> like you, cooking, cooking something <laughs> fast over here and then slow over there or slow over here and then fast over there. That's what you're describing here, which is like you're going to do this fast cooking of the outside and then the rest is going to, cook on the inside but like for example you know stuff like there's just all kinds of stuff Where like where if we're roasting vegetables I might par cook just like in the microwave even just like slightly cook stuff the hard stuff like the potatoes and the carrots and then they'll end up a lot better. Do you know, on the grill there's all kinds of stuff where if you cook it a little bit before you finish it on the grill it's really good sous vide is good for that I'm on the, on the Wikipedia page for rule of three which is a very interesting disambiguation page there are many rules of three. Are there really Aviation, economic, survival, Wicca. Really? Wicca, writing. They don't have the one about humor in here. I don't know the I one should, about humor. The most, oh, just, you know, things are funnier in threes. Okay. Like whenever you tell a joke and it's, it's got like, you know, there'll always be like th- three inst- instances where two where something happens the same way and the third where it happens a different way. And then there's like somewhere in here, there's a whole page about all the different rhetorical devices. Uh, yeah. Anyway, rule
0: of three. Rule of three. Rule I thought three. you were going to be talking about the three marks of existence in Buddhism.
1: Mm, or the rule of thirds in the military, or the rule of thirds in diving, uh, the rule of three in the photo composition, which we know, mm-hmm. which is always take photos of three people. <laughs> Little known <laughs> From rule. three feet away. from three feet, Okay, here's the: if you're going to take photos, you have to use three cameras to take a picture of three people from three feet away.
0: Now, are the people in the same photo, or is it one camera per person?
1: Uh, oh, that's that's really that's a good question. That could screw up the whole formula. <laughs> the rule of three in writing is a writing principle that suggests that a trio of events or characters is more humorous, satisfying, or effective in execution of the story and engaging a reader. Also useful in meaning uh, slogans and catchphrases: life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, stop. Look. Listen. Faster. Higher. Stronger. Stop. Drop. Roll. Veniveti vici. Slap. 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 Slip. Slap. Slap. That's Australian. Slip. Slap. Slap. Hmm. Comedy, 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 it's often called, ah, here we go, uh, comedy, and comedy is often called the comic triple. The third element is often used to create an effective surprise with an audience, especially if it differs from the first two. For instance, jokes might feature three stereotyped individuals. Skip over that part. The surprise <laughs> or punchline of the joke comes from the third character. Yeah, that's a thing. Hmm. We, we do it all the time and don't even realize it. Rule three, put it in show notes. Dan, as much as you're able to say, where would people find show notes? Four,
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. episode
1: 360 we come all the way around 360
0: 360 full 360. circle 360 mm-hmm. uh, episode by, 360 of your back to work program where do they go for that 5by5.tv five five slash B is in Buddhism 2 is in the <laughs> number W is in Wabi Sabi mm-hmm. slash 360 you
1: still got it kid
0: W. how about Should W is in s- Withered Withered wither ubi suit (laughs) yes uh Um, dan dan and hey dan and merlin hey hey how's it going buddy aquarium owners who want to convince their fish to mate Mm-hmm. often try to simulate what spring is like for them.
1: This is an excerpt from the popular book, The Persuasive Fish Tender. <laughs>
0: well, in our last episode, we were discussing what... <laughs> how, do you, how do you make them knock boots? <laughs> how, do you, how, do you, how do you get your fish to uh, make more fish? Uh, one step that is usually... How do you get, how
1: do you, how do you get them bone down? How do you get them to do the nasties? What? You know what I'm saying?
0: <laughs> That's yes. How do you get your fish... That's what the listeners roll three roll three. What Stephen is uh, is is answering one step you, that is usually included is to pour in some colder water, which simulates ice melting upstream and flowing into their area. They want their eggs to hatch, so they will have spring and summer to eat and grow. There are how tos for different fish, which might have you lowering the temperature by two degrees per day for four or five days. With some fish, you need to measure and adjust the pH as well, and adjust light levels and timing. If the fish have a constant temperature, they think it is a really long summer or fall. Listener Stephen,
1: or Stephen, is it Stefan? S- S- Stefan, Stefan. This place has everything. I can't believe you have to work <laughs> that hard to get your fish to bone down. <laughs> Not as oh, hard as uh,
0: getting. Could your... you show them some erotic fish art? I, I don't. I think it takes more than that. You should see S- little Garami building a bubble nest, though. It's adorable tell me that story what there's a fish called garami and uh, they they build a little the males build a little bubble nest to impress the female where they go and they get a little bubble of air and then they place it in a little part of the tank and it, it's a little collection of slimy bubbles that I guess to the female it shows, garami it shows
1: that they can make a nice safe home that's
0: right that's, yeah. that's right. Hmm. No, it's cheaper than a lambo am I right uh, much cheaper
1: uh, that is some good fish talk. Mm-hmm. Let's see, where are we? We're at fifty minutes. We've got some more good stuff from listeners. Also, I was going to throw you a bone oh. if you would like a bone thrown to you. Yeah. Um. Do you want to talk about the announcement from Nintendo?
0: Oh yeah, that was. I thought that was really pretty
1: cool. Because um, I need you to explain it to me. I watched the video and I still don't understand what it is. It looks very cool.
0: Is it Labo or Labo? I th- I think it's um, I think it's Labo, Lobo. Labo, 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 Labo. Tell me about Nintendo Labo. Nintendo Labo is something that you do with your Nintendo Switch, where there are these cardboard constructs, and you I guess buy one of these kits, which comes with. Essentially, like a thing that you fold together. It's all made out of cardboard. You fold it together.
1: So you buy the cardboard you and buy, punch it out.
0: It's a yes. It's like you're a not printing kit. that at home. No, you're not printing it at home. You're okay, that's it. what
1: confused me. Okay, you're,
0: you buy this, and uh, it it is pie- a piece or pieces of cardboard, depending on which kit you want to get. You then fold it into shape, and it fits together little grooves and little folding things and things like that. The cardboard sheet, that is. And then some of them also include string or rubber bands or other things that you would use. You assemble this, and then in a variety of different ways, it actually connects to your switch. So you might put... You might put one or two of the control, Joy-Con controllers into it. You might put the Switch base itself into it. There's all the, – depending on what it is that you're building. And you have to kind of watch the video. I did put it into the show notes.
1: You can make like a little piano.
0: You can make a piano. You can make a little backpack. guy that, that walks. You can do a, a backpack that lets you control uh, a, like a transformer on the screen. All these different things. But what's really cool is like like a like, there's like a little walking bug thing that you uh, put the two controllers on and using their haptic there's a, there's feedback. Little, little and little man like, who falls down? The little man who falls down. I like the little man who falls down. But anyway, that's what this is. And apparently, it, it's, you know, it almost, you remember Google Cardboard when they came out with mm-hmm. that? That was the first thing that came to my mind when they mm-hmm. came out with this. Is It's like, here you have this technology device, this gaming system, but then you're using something you get to build and create yourself and make. And the piano is the most impressive. That seems insane i wonder how they're making that work but it's a playable speaking of making instruments uh it's a playable piano that has cardboard keys black and white keys that you can play by using your switch somehow it's fascinating but i think for a lot of kids you know they spend so much time in front of the screen and they have they're not building anything with their hands and this is a beautiful combination of that i think it could has a potential to be really interesting
1: I think it looks super cool, but I, I, to me, it's also like a, a testament to the design of this device, which I, I don't know if this is unique, but it feels it's definitely new to me. Normally, when you get a console game, uh, you've got a, uh, you've got like a what, like a, a Wii – uh, Wiimote, like a, uh, the Wii, the Wiimote, right? That's what it's called? The, yeah, the uh, Wiimote. For the
0: Switch, it's a, the Joy-Con, but yes.
1: But, but no, I'm just saying, though, you've got like some kind of a, a hold in your hand, usually single-unit controller, right. whether that's a Wii U or whether that's a PlayStation controller, Xbox, et cetera. Um, what's neat with this is like there's at least, that I can think of, three different ways that you can choose to use the Joy-Con controllers. You can snap them onto the screen and use it like handheld, like sitting on the couch. right? You can pop them into the dingus that's like a pro controller. You can actually, Bob, we bought a second pro controller, actual, by its own pro controller. Um, but then also, uh, you can choose to just hold, you can take them off anything, hold one in your left hand, one in your right hand. That's pretty cool. And now, this is something my daughter has told me that I think is probably true, which is that if you do choose to hold one in each hand, you can actually do more stuff. There are some games, like in, like in, um... Zelda, and I'm pretty sure in Splatoon, maybe in Mario, definitely you in can Mario. Do ex- you could do extra stuff. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example.
0: Well, there's some things in Mario there where um, where by like flicking the controller in a certain way or moving it a certain way, you can control Cappy, who's the little hat that Mario wears. Uh, that you can send him flying and and kind of control him lots of little things like that, and I think they actually want you to hold the two controllers separately when when you play that game um but which, yeah, is, the, which is more natural than you might imagine yeah, at first it seems like well i don 't want to do that, but it it actually makes sense and and works really well, but yeah there's so each of these controllers then I guess go into different become different uh components of these cardboard. Creation. Right, right.
1: It's just that I, I just wanted to give them extra credit yeah. because, like, as I've said every time we talked about it, I'm very impressed by the design and build quality of these. It does not feel flimsy and, and dumb. Like it's it feels solid to use these things. But I mean, what a, what a creative design decision! And now, I mean, like, in, I feel like in one of the parts, I only watched the video partway through one time, but in one of them, you've they're holding they're they're using the screen in portrait mode, right? That's so interesting. I mean, what a, I don't know. This feels like a like a very very creative, well designed device. And now this ability to say, like, and I'm just guessing here that like you could have the two um, Joy-Con, is that what they're called? Yep. You could have the two little dinguses like doing different things on your box. Yeah. Like that's. I don't know. I just think that's such an interesting idea. And the haptic, the
0: haptic feedback and vibrations that you feel when you're playing a game. You know, like if. Uh, in Zelda, if you were to reveal a hidden shrine, the, the game controller would shake. They're using that ability for the controllers to shake to, like, get things to move. So you actually have little, like, essentially robots or little bugs or that little man that you were talking about where they're able to move across the floor uh, or the desk through alternating vibrations of the two Joy-Gun controllers. It's just really clever. I'm, I like this thing.
1: Yeah, that's a neat idea. Yeah, you think you get it It comes out on four twenty.
0: Yeah, four twenty. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they ha- they mean it that way, but who- maybe they do. I don't know, but yeah, we'll probably get one of them. I think I think my kids would like this. Totally. Do you guys have a three DS? By the way, I meant to ask. Mm, no. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Why Why you ask?
0: Well, now my kids both want a three DS. Oh. And
1: they still make those? They,
0: yes, and they sell like crazy. They're incredibly 3DS. popular. Incredibly okay. popular.
1: Nintendo 3DS. Yeah.
0: Because, oh, like. This it, is not as old as I thought it was. I see. I don't know how old it is. I remember the Game Boy Advance was Two kind of. A,
1: screens. Okay. Hmm. Well, good for Nintendo. That's all I got to say about that. Yep. Uh, what else is on your mind? We've got other other feedback from listeners. Uh, we could talk more about writing. Talk about
0: Butcher Box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They did a, a study that says now that the flu may be spread uh, just by breathing. Oh God! <clears throat> and not not you don't necessarily have to be coughing or sneezing or wiping your face and touching something that just just breathing now is enough. Ugh so i've
1: been trying so hard last night i had to take a lift to get to the meetup and the kid driving the lift no oh my god yes he He sneezed the entire time and i'm not usually that particular guy but i i I, I almost was like are you okay maybe you should drop me off here like you should like you're you're a carrier like what are you doing and that's (laughs) definitely within the amount of space and i'm pretty sure i could get slimed (laughs) yeah
0: oh god uh is lyft better than than uber these days in san francisco well or is it just that uber is doing horrible things and and you don't want to support that which i mean
1: there are people who have i was talking about this last night with uh, christian the uh owner of the comic shop uh and he's very anti um gig economy in general ride sharing in particular uber especially but just he thinks it's you know I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to put words in his mouth, but, you know, it's another one of these unsustainable VC funded kind of silly things and they do bad stuff. But no, I mean, I, I, I have to admit I kept using Uber for a long time after I felt bad about using Uber. I mean, we personally ha- – I personally had a bad experience, a really bad experience with a driver, like a racist driver. My wife's account got hacked and they wouldn't help her uh and then on top of that just all of the like crazy stuff that they do they're they're like i don't know like it was the kind of thing that would be like rejected as the work of a villain in Mm -hmm. a major motion picture Mm -hmm. because it's so stupid like kill switches to like destroy all the evidence on computers like all this stuff is just so odd uh so yeah i mean admittedly i stayed longer because i I don't know lift seems silly and it was pink and the mustache rides was kind of weird but yeah, I eventually moved to Lyft, and yeah, it's been great. I mean, even in my far-flung neighborhood, it's rarely more than a four-minute wait for oh, a wow. ride. That's great. Where, well, whereas when my wife and I would try to depend on taxis, there would just be date night where the sitter was there, and we went outside. We'd call, you know, we might have even scheduled a taxi that didn't come, and they would sit there and watch like three, four, five taxis just cancel or ghost just not show up because they found somebody and didn't bother to report back just because we're further away from Mm -hmm. the center of town. right? So, you know, it's one of those things where it, because it does really benefit me as an improvement. I I do still, I use that stuff, but I don't know. I think eventually I'll feel terrible about it. This will get played on some clip reel. Hi. (laughs) In the flu battle, hydration and elevation may be your best weapons says, kate murphy at the new york times oh another thing christian said last night he's like you got a fitbit right i'm like yeah he's like well keep an eye out because he says if you get an elevated heartbeat it may be a sign that you're going to be sick in a day or two really that that's the sign that your body is already trying to fight something so now i'm anxious about that too that's uh, flu is spread predominantly by droplets in the air. So if you are within three to six feet of someone who is infected, you are likely to breathe in their germy exhalations.
0: So I'm Mars thinking do... that I'm just going to wear one of these masks. That's just so in my neighborhood. People do that all for the flight, time. for the flight over there. I'm just going to oh, put go it on
1: Jiminy Christmas. That's right.
0: And just wear it. You should do it.
1: You should get one of those. Uh, yeah. Get one that really like works. Don't just get a drugstore one, get a really nice one, get like a Bane one. <laughs> Like Bane in Batman? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Can I get you anything to drink, uh, Mr.
0: Banner? <laughs> no one what I wanted to drink until I put on this mask. <laughs> I think I'll go with <laughs> the drugstore one, probably. Oh, <laughs> They
1: work? Well, when they
0: had all the fires
1: and we encouraging people to get um, filters, filter air, uh, mask things, we bought some.
0: But I don't know if that's good for the disease stuff. I have two kinds. There's one kind that um, that's supposed to have like more than enough for flu and then there's the other one which is i don't know i guess if you get sneezed on directly or blood splattered on you or something
1: um let's see how about you want to maybe tell me about one more thing that you you have one more thing yes i
0: have one more thing
1: you could maybe tell me about one more thing that you like and then we could um if you permit it i would read uh, another nice piece of feedback from listeners that on an interesting topic
0: all right, I would like to say thank you very much to Squarespace.
1: Squarespace! Hey, 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 hey. I'm a fan.
0: You can turn your cool idea into a new website. You can showcase your work, you can blog, you can publish content, you can sell products, you can sell services. You can do all of this stuff with Squarespace with relative ease. By just sliding little sliders and toggling little toggles to customize one of their beautiful world-class templates let you make your site look like your own site, not like something, some template that everyone else is, no, you don't want that. You want to customize the look and the feel. You want to customize the settings. You want to add products. Whatever it is that you're doing, you can do it all with just a few clicks. And now you can even get domains from Squarespace. They have over 200 domain name extensions now. So you can go there and get one alongside your Squarespace site when you get it or if you just want the domain you don't have to have a Squarespace site. You just get your domain there. We did we, it
1: one time, and it took about twelve minutes, stem to stern.
0: Yeah, that's Remember for, we, we put a clock on ourselves for creating at one time? a whole website. Yeah, pretty amazing. Bananas. All kinds of stuff is built in. Like I said, they got analytics. They got your uh, b- built-in search engine optimization. You don't have to worry about security and this specter nonsense and meltdown. They're they're handling all that. They have people who know what to do so that you don't have to worry about it. And you can focus on the stuff that you're actually really good at doing, not the stuff that you need to do, but the stuff that you like to do, the stuff that you want to do. And the, and, uh, and Squarespace makes that possible by saving you time and some money too. You're going to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. When you go to squarespace.com and enter in the code, it's your show, one word, it's your show, and you'll save 10 percent off your first purchase. So thank you very much to Squarespace for making this show possible. Merlin Mann. Thank you, Squarespace, Buck, Buck. I, I feel like they are
1: the sponsor that has not only been with us the most, mm-hmm. but like of, of, they've been with us since just about the beginning, and they've been such a great supporter of the show. And it helps it, well, it helps in us making this case that they are actually a really great service. And I use it for the Roderick on the Online podcast. We host the actual audio files there. All the stuff, it's all right there, and it's its just a joy to use. I, I can actually pr- promote and feel good endorsing uh, the Squarespace service. They do good work. Bok, bok. Um, in uh, probably the episode before last, I mentioned an interesting thing I ran across called the Yerkes – I could be mispronouncing this. The Yerkes-Dodson Law. Uh, an empirical relationship between arousal and performance. God, I wish they'd chosen a different word than arousal. Uh, the none of it is this, though. This is, again, kind of related to the Chiksemi High Flow stuff, I guess, a little bit, but right. the law dictates that performance increases with physiological or mental arousal, but only up to a point. When levels of arousal become too high, performance decreases. The process is often illustrated graphically as a bell-shaped curve, which increases and then decreases with higher levels of arousal. And we use that, one example we use, talking about this, uh, isn't it funny that, like, if you're driving on a long stretch of highway and it's really boring... Uh, You might actually enjoy your ride and concentrate better if you listen to the radio. Like, isn't that strange? And suddenly miles go by, but like you're doing good driving. But then you get into a thunderstorm. There's been an accident. Mm. It's dark and things are really scary. Like, what's the first thing you do? You turn down the radio. And like, isn't that a funny phenomenon that in that case you would actually want to change or ask people to stop talking would be another. Could you guys not talk? I really need to concentrate on driving. Right. Like, how is it that hearing something could interfere with how well you see? Well, it's because in this, in the instance of this, like the amount of stimulation you're getting works up to a point, but then it gets in the way. And we talked about how that was kind of an interesting idea. So we got feedback from listener Don. Uh, not Dr. Don, but a different Don. Listener, Don, I laughed at you in a kind-hearted way when in episode 358, you described the yerkes Dotson Law. I couldn't help but think of the many male enhancement commercials and how their ads could incorporate the chart. Let's not go there. I believe I have a more practical and useful example, though. I volunteer as a coach in my local Little League. Good for you, Don. Um, working with children 9 to 12 years old, I have found that when their enthusiasm is high – during games, they play better. Hmm. My goal as coach is always to keep them active and cheering throughout the game, knowing that when the occasional hit happens, they will be focused and ready. Uh, the The challenge is not letting them get too carried away. Ideally, they're at an eight on a scale of 10 with regards to their emotion. I've also found that the higher their emotions, the bigger the crash if the game doesn't go as desired. And I wonder if there's a law about how emotions are like pendulums, the higher the highs, the lower the lows.
0: Makes sense to me. It does to me too, but that it's that's funny that you mention that. You know how it, it's almost like you're when you need to focus in really hard, any little thing can pull you out of that focus. And when you don't need to focus, your attention can become much more expansive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I just I think that's you know, that's funny. Like my I my son one of the, the things that uh, he and I both do is we got a rower at home. And so he'll he'll row on the rower and he usually does it in the evening, you know, after dinner. And we I got that little iPad that I put up there mm-hmm. for him to watch. And ever since putting it there and him watching it, you know, putting a movie on or watching a show on Netflix or something while he was rowing. He's much, much more interested in rowing, and he he enjoys it. He enjoys it because he knows that he has certain – like, he'll get a movie, and it might take him, you know, three or four rowing sessions to get through the movie. But he really enjoys that and, like, looks forward to it. And he, he could very easily watch that movie when he's not rowing. Like, there's no rule about that. But he likes to save it, and it, it has made it, like, a special – a special thing but it's the same thing for people driving and like listening to a podcast while they drive like all of a sudden that tedious 45 minute ride in traffic becomes like Mm -hmm. hanging out with your friends and it's kind of fun but if there is a wreck well hold on let me pause this so i can focus while i'm driving Mm -hmm. yeah and why does physical activity go faster when you're entertained by something like that's
1: I guess on one level, the, the most obvious word would be distraction. You're distracted from what it is that you're doing. I, I know that when I used to go to the Y and do the treadmill at the Y for an hour, um, I would, you know, listening to stuff on my iPod was like, "Whoa, that was the best." Mm-hmm. If I didn't have that, I'd be really bummed because then it would just be sugar, 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 mm-hmm. sugar, sugar. <laughs> it's like it's no fun. Um, but. Uh, Yeah, the interesting thing, I mean, there's so much about this that's interesting to me. I mean, I I know that like there's certain kinds of things where I've heard a lot of people talk about this to get back to the earlier topic of writing. uh, Something about writing in particular, uh, people have very different opinions and preferences when it comes to that level of distraction, right? Um, There are some people who like to listen to really loud busy music. There are some people who are like, oh, I I can't listen to anything with words. Like, I can't listen to a podcast, for example, while I'm writing. Uh, Other people might say, well, I, I can, regardless of whatever music it is, it has to be something that's very familiar to me. So I'm not like, you know, trying to process lyrics or anything. Other people will say, I need to listen to something you know, There's a big divide. Some people want something that's very familiar. Other people want something that's very novel and new and different. They just want to shuffle on, or they need to listen to the radio. But everybody's got their own idea about how that works for which stage of what they're working on. Uh, I mean, I wonder if that applies as much for people who draw, you know, or like, you know, comic artists, colorists, and stuff like that. But like, I mean, not to make this about me, but <laughs> part of uh, having dopamine issues, as uh, some people do, is that... Um, why is it that some people would like to play with something in their hands when they're at a meeting or they're talking or or doing whatever? It really does feel like, uh, or like like this little fidget cube I've got. There are a lot of people who say they really, you know, like having this little fidget cube. It actually helps them to concentrate to have something to do with their hands. I don't know if that's the same thing as this, but it feels very related mm-hmm, to this. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it varies very much from person to person. Um, but I mean, I think it becomes most interesting when we talk about you know, just this very idea that phew, I feel like I know so little about how our brains process information and produce stuff. But I'm very interested in that, that idea that like there's a certain kind of sensory input to a certain sense that you want or don't want at a given time and how that can change. But we definitely know the feeling of feeling, you know, very overwhelmed. And this is again, where I do feel like it is somewhat similar in some ways to the chick sent me high idea. Like if you're doing something that you find very, Like, think about this, like, think about a worst, not a worst case scenario, you could be dead, but like, think about like having to be in line at the airport, at the end of the line that you know is going to be an hour long to try and rebook a flight that you're probably not going to be able to make. And like, for some reason at those moments, airport announcements become like triply annoying. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> well, you've heard the things so much about not leaving a bag unattended right. and you're so over the airport as a thing. You don't want to hear any crying babies. You're tired of people talking about – you just – like at that point, at maybe – I don't know if that's related but like that could be more emotional than intellectual. But you're doing the most boring thing in the world. You're standing in a line, a a a pyrrhic Sisyphean line that you know will probably need, lead nowhere good. But in that case, it's just like, oh, god, could everybody please just shut up? Please stop talking. Please stop talking. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's a clicker on it. Some I got clickers on these sides too. It's kind of a more crispy clicker. What is
0: that? A pen? This is my
1: fidget. My fidget cube. Oh, oh, okay. It's one from the uh, the Kickstarter. It's one of the costly, overpriced ones. Yeah, we got one of those. Whew. What do you think, Dan? Are we giving the people enough
0: today? I feel like we have. I think we've we give, given we them give, too much. we
1: give. given them too much. You give them too much. You give them too much. What else are you excited about right now? Mm. Have you put any of the Nintendo Switch cartridges in your mouth yet?
0: What? No. Okay. Should I?
1: Um, people say they taste really, really bad. They're like surprisingly bitter.
0: Well, I mean, they're plastic and metal, right?
1: Yeah. You think, you think it should be obvious? Do you get the cartridges
0: or do, you do digital downloads?
1: I don't know how to do that.
0: The I, Nintendo discovered, I
1: discovered two new friends on my daughter's account. and I was like, who are these people? Like, <laughs> We need to
0: have the internet talk sooner than I expected. Yeah, well, the Nintendo d- friend thing is much...
1: It's just basically somebody you played online. Yeah, it's not you're it's, chatting with, it's them. Right?
0: It, I don't think so. It's much safer than like, computer internet friends.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah. all right. So. Yeah, she probably shouldn't have given her name uh, Sexy Mama 69.
0: No, that it. was a bad choice, I think. All right, well, let's, uh, let's button this up. All right. right. Okay, I love you. Love you too, Merlin Man.